I love being here. It is such a joy to be here with you this morning. I love our Lord. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to come together to remember his sacrifice. And that's really what this day is about. And certainly want my words to focus upon him and bring us back to memory of him and our love for God, which is why we're here. I love being with you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I come from Tampa, Florida there. I'm originally from Arkansas and I've traveled through Arizona many times. Uh, I know some of your preachers from the past, and so I've seen many videos of this pulpit, and I feel like I've been here before, even though this is the first time. Grateful uh, to be with you. I love Luke chapter 2, verse 42. We read that this morning. I love the description of the first church there, and I hope that for this congregation, I hope that for the churches that I work with in Florida, and for every body of the Lord's people, that we might restore the New Testament church as it's described here. When you read Luke chapter 2, verses 38 through 42, we oftentimes talk about the fact that baptism there is commanded as a means to forgiveness appropriately. What we less observe is what I want to observe this morning with you as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit through God's Word. When you read there in Luke chapter 2, verses 38 through 42, it's clear that there is a devotion, a devotion to God that is empowered there by the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes to everyone who believes. That's what I want to focus on this morning. You see the congregation there in Luke chapter 2, verse 42. They're focused upon learning the word. They're focused upon connection and fellowship and communion and remembrance of Jesus. We see that in the breaking of the bread. You see, they're focused upon connection to God in prayer. And that is empowered by the gift of the Spirit that comes there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We want to talk there about how we can be empowered as they were so that we might have the devotion that they had. There in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 38, you read about that power. I now live in Florida, and I lived recently through Hurricane Ian. Many of you saw that and prayed for the cause. That was barreling down upon us, and many people suffered as a result of that a little bit further south of us. And as that hurricane hit, I looked around the streets, and I realized that the power had gone out. I'd been in Florida for three years. This is my first major hurricane there. But then suddenly I saw the lights start to pop on and I realized that mine was the only house that didn't have lights on for three days. And I realized one of these things is not like the other. You know what it was? My house. Because I did not have a generator. All of my neighbors did. I had not yet learned the lesson that in Florida you need to have a generator if you want to have power during hurricane outages. I was not plugged in. Many of you know what it's like to have a computer or a, a, a cell phone and you see this bar on the top of the screen and you see that you have your uh, cell phone uh, signal but you also have your battery power and many of us know the sinking feeling of needing to be plugged in at the store or in the airport or wherever we are we need to find a source of power or not be able to communicate or or know what our next appointment is or even know how to get home for some of us you need to have that power in order to live well, this morning we're talking about power, the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to connect to. The scriptures teach us that Christians' lives are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 teaches us that Jesus was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection comes by the power of the Spirit. 
Romans chapter 15 verse 14 tells us that our hope as Christians that we be resurrected comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is essential in our lives. And so it is here in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and 39 that we read that uh, the early Christians received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what we realize is when, from Peter's words here in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 that this was not an unanticipated gift. This was something that had been promised. As we read back in the scriptures, for example, back in uh, John chapter 15, verse 20, we realize that Jesus had promised that the Spirit would come and would witness to Him. The Spirit wouldn't witness to the Spirit. The Spirit wasn't about the Spirit pointing to Himself. He was witnessing to Jesus. He was going to point to the truth of who Jesus was. In fact, he refers to them as the spirit of truth. This was the promise that Jesus made. And so the spirit would come and would, would tell about Jesus. It would be a revelation of Jesus. And so it is in Acts chapter uh, 2 that we read that, that this was a promise spirit, this gift that was given to all those who believed there on the day of Pentecost. And it becomes apparent as you read in the book of Acts that this witness this witness, this testimony of the Spirit to who Jesus was, was to come to people on Pentecost and in days to come. You read about that in Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And not only would it come to people as a statement of who Jesus was, but it would come into people as they began to believe who Jesus was, as they began to live as Jesus taught and as the Spirit witness. And so it is that we read in the New Testament about, in the New Testament about God and Jesus and the Spirit being in people, being uh, in them and, and abiding in them, dwelling in them, being filling in them. And so the Word comes into people through the Spirit and its witness. Uh, for example, at the school where I work every weekday, we say the Pledge of Allegiance. And we stand before the plague and we put a pledge, the flag and we put our hand over our heart and we say the pledge. And that is a sort of witness to our commitment to the country. It's a testimony that we make. Uh, like the Spirit witnessed to, to Jesus, so too our pledge is a witness to the fact that we have allegiance, loyalty to the, the country. But for certain people, and this is especially poignant as we've just gone through Vet Veterans Day, the, the meaning of those words has a deeper significance for them because the words of those pledge are not just a witness not just words it has become a way of life a service that they have given themselves to in the military and so it is that those words of the pledge are not just to them they are in them and so it is with the witness of the spirit that that it comes to people but certain people who believe that witness that spirit that gift of the spirit goes into and so throughout the scriptures, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we read about the Holy Spirit, its gift, its witness, its words, its presence in the life of the Christian as being something which identifies Christians as Christians and that confirms who they are. Here in this passage, Paul describes the Spirit's influence on Christians as 
uh, like a seal on an old-timey envelope, you know, those wax seals where if you were to get a letter from me in the old days, you'd see my, my insignia on that seal and you'd know, well, that's from John. So too, the Spirit is a seal upon our life and because of its witness to what the Word says in our life, it lets us know that we are Christian. And like when I go down to the car dealership and, and the car dealer won't let me take the car away until I make a down payment, I, I, I make a, a payment of money up front before he'll engage in a business transaction as a sort of guarantee of my intent. So too, the Spirit is a sort of down payment upon our lives with God, showing us, confirming through what it tells us about who Jesus is and how we live for him that we are in fact the sons of God and the children of God. And so it is in, in, in passages like this that we see the Spirit, is, it, its witness, its presence in our life is to be a strength, a confirmation of who you are. And, and we recognize it's through that witness that we know, yes, I am a Christian, and yes, I am going to heaven as I live according to that word. That's the blessing. That's the power of the Spirit in our life. Now, there are oftentimes misconceptions about what the Spirit is. And when you read in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 42, about this gift of the Spirit, it's clear that that is not a power, a miraculous power, which gives some sort of miraculous insight. That is a gift that is given to every believer and that empowers a devotion that every Christian could have. It is ordinary in that sense. It's not extraordinary or supernatural. And yet there exists a conception within the world today that oftentimes the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, is something that comes miraculously, directly to people through their thinksos, through their mind, the Spirit working uh, directly upon them. This is a misconception. That's not what's described in Acts chapter 2. Down through the centuries, we've seen this sort of idea that there is a, a miraculous influence of the Spirit in Christians' lives now impact and, and come out as heresies, false teachings. For example, in the second century, after the era of, of the apostles, you had a false teacher named Montanus. And Montanus went around saying, God has revealed to me, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me where Jesus is going to be and when he's going to come. And this was not from the scriptures, it was just a Montanus thing. And he gathered together around him some apostles and they became Montanists and is known as one of the first heresies in the second century. This is the false conception of what the gift and the indwelling of the Spirit would be. And down through the centuries, you see that same sort of idea. More recently, in 2009, a well-known preacher and university president, Oral Roberts, on January 4, 2009, said that unless I can raise $4.5 million for my university in Tulsa, the Lord's going to bring me home. That's what the Lord had told him. The Spirit had told him, you know, I'm a university president, and so I'm thinking about that. That might be a good, good approach, you think? I don't know. It, kind of daunting to think about, but he was onto something maybe, but he was false. There was no such revelation, but you see that idea that people have that the Spirit works directly on the mind today, and so it is in charismatic and Pentecostal movements. You see that belief that the Spirit directly reveals to us the Spirit's will. And in the present day, there are many individuals who, in matters of their personal belief, which oftentimes conforms to cultural belief, will say, well, I'm doing what I'm doing because the Spirit has moved me to do it. And the Spirit is telling the churches now to change. You've heard of that. And everything from the work of the church to the ways the gender should work within the local church and the family to sexuality in our life, everything within the scriptures, individuals today say, well, the Lord, the Spirit, is teaching us differently than the Scriptures. 
And this is a form of Gnosticism, that ancient heresy which appears in the postmodern era among those people who say, not the Lord's way, but my way, and the Lord told me so. That's the ancient form of Gnosticism that says there's a special wisdom, a special knowledge that comes to us, and it's that knowledge that saves, not the scriptures. You see how that works. And so that's especially problematic because the fact of the matter is, is that those miraculous gifts which did exist within Acts chapter 2 and in the first century, we learn from Paul that those were, those were to confirm the word that was proclaimed by the apostles and those first teachers. And that those gifts of the Spirit were done away when the perfect came and the witness of the word to what God was doing in Jesus. And that same word testifies to those miraculous gifts. We know the fullness of what God has done in Jesus Christ and the gifts that he gave to confirm the word. And so we no longer need those miraculous gifts, Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 teaches us. And so it's important to recognize that the perfect has come in the Word of God, and today the witness of the Spirit is through the Word of God, the witness to who Jesus was. And what's interesting is, is the apostles anticipated these misconceptions of the Scripture. For example, in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, we learn of the Jews who Stephen lamb blasts because they in their lives were replacing what God had said with what they wanted. And Stephen gets down to the end of his speech and he says, you're resisting the Spirit by doing what you want in terms of what their worship and what their will is and not what God does. And so it is this attitude that this God, Spirit speaks directly to me falls prey to that very resisting of the Spirit, and also the lying of the Spirit, which Ananias and Sapphira did. You remember the problem with Ananias and Sapphira? Is that they wanted to say that they did what God wanted them to do, but they were unwilling to actually do it. They held back things, and so it is in our life. We'll say, well, I know what God says in his scripture, and I want to do that, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And so it is that down through the centuries, many have taught as God's teaching the commandments of men. So you can see the misconception that comes. But here's another one that, that comes today. And this is one that you see a misconception of the role of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit in our life. And I've seen this even among brethren. This is a view which says that the Spirit is identical. It's the exact same as the Word of God. And that, as one well-known book recently said, the spirit is inseparable from the written word. Now, I want to say that there are certain ways of understanding that statement in which that is true. But the danger that that, that falls prey to of this word-only sort of understanding of the spirit is to equate the person of God with the words of Scripture. That's clearly not correct. It is the case that the word, the spirit works through the word primarily, but what this doctrine denies is that the Spirit is active as the person of God in the Christian life. That is to say that the Spirit is just the facts of Scripture. The, 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 the person of God is just the information that we can glean from the text. And, and that's a, a view which comes to a passage like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where we read about the armor of God and reads that passage and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, and says, well, there it is. The Spirit is the Word of God. But the problem with that is that it's a misreading and a misconception of this passage and the doctrine of the Spirit within the New Testament. Because what that verse actually says is that the, is that the, the Scriptures are an instrument of the agent, the Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. They're not the same thing. The, Spirit is, the Word is what the Spirit uses. 
in defending us and accomplishing God's mission and God's will in our lives and in the world. And so it is, is that we need to recognize that the scriptures which the Spirit utilizes are living, they're active. There is a person of the Godhead working through those scriptures that, that spoke those scriptures, that inspired those scriptures, and continues to witness through those scriptures in our very lives. This is so important, brothers and sisters, that we recognize the power of the Spirit and that we plug into that. Not only that, there are mysteries of the Spirit's work in our lives which I can barely comprehend, but are there nevertheless according to scriptures that aren't about giving us information about what we should do to be saved and be sanctified, but are about our life with God. As you know well, over in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul pulls back the curtain of heaven and shows us that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, speaking, as it were, words that we cannot in our prayers. Now, we need to recognize that that's not how the Spirit communicates to us, but we also need to recognize that's the Spirit of God. That is the person of God that is uh, infinitely larger than our Bible. That is God. And my point this morning is to recognize that there are biblical ways of talking about the gift of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the way that we are filled by the Spirit, which acknowledge that we are dealing with God. And that is powerful in our life when we come to the influence of the Scriptures on our life. I would just observe that the Scriptures also talk about the dangers in this sort of deadening concept of the relationship of, of us to the Spirit and the way that the Word works in our life. Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which would deny the power of the Spirit to reveal Jesus. You can't come back from that if you say that there's no way to, to know Jesus and that Jesus is not true. And the danger is that we deny the reality and the power of the Spirit with these sorts of teachings. The Hebrew writer similarly talks about denying the Spirit as an insulting of the Spirit. And you see that the thing is, is if we cease to see the power of God that is in and through and behind the Word, we can fall prey to the grieving and the quenching of the Spirit, which the Apostle says manifests itself in a lack of influence on the Word in our lives, of the Word in our lives. Everything from the way we talk, becoming hateful and unkind, to the way that we think, not, not considering the ways of God above ourselves. And so these conceptions of the Spirit are important as we think about how we live. What I want to suggest to you this morning is, is that there is a, a third view, which is not a misconception, that's all through the Scriptures. And this view is the view of the Scriptures that we should understand the Holy Spirit as a living presence that fills us through our obedience to the Word. It works through the Word, but the, the Spirit is a living and active person of God that, that does fill us. And let's talk about this morning how that happens. But notice, the Spirit is different than the page, the information. The Spirit is a person. It is God who we are led by as we hear and do and obey the Word of God. And so let's think with you about the importance of this, of, of how we are filled with the Spirit. Jesus teaches in the Gospel of John that the Spirit witnesses to him. And insofar as we are learning and as we are growing in our discipleship to Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit points not to himself, but to Jesus. And so through the Word it is that we gain insight into Jesus and we, we, we are filled with the Spirit. In fact, uh, Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, 8, verse 5, and over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, describes a law of the Spirit a way of living, a sort of code for life, which he elsewhere describes as the way of Jesus, 
which we're to be filled with. Insofar as those words, that witness to the life of Jesus is in us and we're seeking to pursue it, we're filled with the Spirit. That's the truth of, of that reality that we're to be walking by this way and if we're living and seeking to follow Jesus, we're filled with the Spirit. Um, oftentimes, you'll find people who are disciples who are, who are seeking to follow Jesus and they're not concerned about being filled with the Spirit <laughs> because guess what? They are. <laughs> They're seeking to follow the way of Jesus by the witness of the word. And so there's a well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, where, where Paul encourages, commands even, Christians to be filled with the Spirit as opposed to inebriation by spirits. And the life that he describes in those following verses is the life that's filled with the Spirit. It's a life that's dedicated to the Lord, you can clearly see. And it's a life of obedience in the way that we live together and the way we live towards God. And that's what it is to be filled with the Spirit by, that, by the Word working in our life. And not only is it a way, a Word that we have in our life, there are dispositions and emotions and feelings which come from obedience. And that Spirit within us is the Holy Spirit insofar as it's guided by the Word of God. And the words that are used most often to describe that are words of, of hope and of peace and especially joy. And so these are uh, feelings which the first Christians uh, had in their lives uh, all through Acts. I, I noted a few passages here. We don't have time to look at this morning. You see Luke describing early Christians who hear the word and they're filled with joy. They're filled with the Spirit, in, in fact, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Elsewhere, Paul describes this receiving of the word, despite of much hardships, and the ways that Thessalonians lived in obedience to that word, despite the hardships, as the joy of the Holy Spirit. There's a joy that comes even in the midst of afflictions, knowing that we're following the way of Jesus, and the Spirit fills us with that emotion, that disposition in our lives. And what we realize is throughout the scriptures, that, that word... And the spirit that it evokes in our life causes us to live a certain way. And repeatedly in the New Testament, being filled with the spirit, having the joy of the spirit is connected to a fervency about evangelism, a boldness to take what the word has been revealed to us, the word that's been revealed to us by the spirit and to share it with others. You see that, for example, in Romans chapter 15. This is a complicated passage, but what I want to observe with you here is that Paul is describing to the Romans his priestly service, his sharing of the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says that that service is something that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, his sharing of the gospel is something that is coming from the Holy Spirit, the witness and the work of the Holy Spirit in him. And so too, he says, Christians we Christians, when we live as Christ, when we show the way of Christ in our life, it's as we were letters written by the Spirit. And the Spirit works through the Word in our life as it's proclaimed and practiced in faithful ways. You see that? What a wonderful blessing it is to be able to realize that the Word, the Spirit, uh, works in us in ways that, like the New Testament Christians in Acts chapter 431 and 417 and elsewhere, speak boldly. They have they have courage and frankness because they know that it's not their word, it's the word of the Spirit. And so that's the difference, you see. This is not some dry, arid page. 
This is God's revelation to us through the Spirit of God. And that, when we realize these are God's words that He, by His will, wants us to believe and walk and to share, that emboldens us, that gives us courage in a way that we wouldn't have if we don't have that proper conception. And finally, it makes all the difference in the world that we're working from the same page, <laughs> that we have the same Spirit that has revealed to us the way of Jesus. And what Paul and other apostles emphasize repeatedly is that, that there is to be given the witness of the Spirit and His dwelling in us a oneness, a unity of the Spirit. Why? Because we have the same revelation. There's the same sense of, of who Jesus is. A time fails to talk about how often in the New Testament Paul talks about the commonality of the Spirit. Sometimes it's translated the participation of the Spirit in, first, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, which pr produces us in the mind of Christ. We all read in the same words, and so we have the same mind of Jesus as, G as the Spirit witnesses to the mind of Christ. So too, he says that we should have the fellowship of the Spirit. There should be a commonality. The Greek word there is koinonia. The idea of, of having a, a commonality, a communion that produces a unity that we are called to in the Word. So you see there all of these uh, aspects of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So this morning, I just want to give you four simple charges. What are we going to take away? Here's what it is. Okay? Uh, this, these are complicated topics. There's a reason we don't often talk about these things, because there's a challenge to understanding these things. But I want to suggest to you that it's, it's, it's really quite straightforward when we understand what that gift of the Spirit is that empowers us to the devotion that God calls us to. And so here's my practical charges to you this morning. Think about this, how this works. When you realize that the Spirit is witnessing to Jesus Christ in the Word that we have, that that is the Spirit's work in this time of the Spirit. Jesus no longer walks the face of the earth. And so now it's the time of the Spirit to, re to reveal in His Word and His people what it is to follow Jesus. Our attitude should be one of obedience, yes, of faithfulness, yes, but of gratitude. Because we deal not with a page, but with a person. And it's a different matter when you think about this is the Holy Spirit of God giving us this word, such gratitude we should have in our worship. It's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we emphasize the spirit part of that. But it's the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, is that just like the Spirit is holy, we are to be separate. And when you realize that he's given us this word, not just to inform us, but to form us more fully into the image of him who is the Son of God, who is God, you realize we should grow and mature in the holiness of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's something that you realize only when you realize there's a person of God in and through this word to whose character I am called. And that is the finding character. It's what he's named for, that Holy Spirit. And of course, the Spirit does work insofar as he informs us through the Word. Be, hear me very clearly on that. That is the way that we know what the Spirit's will is in our life, is through the Word of God as it's proclaimed and read. And so we should access the Spirit's will, his witness to Jesus, by reading and praying in the Spirit, as Paul says. For that. These are practices in our life. But, but here's the thing. The Spirit came, yes, to witness to Jesus, but He came to witness to Jesus that the world might be saved. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. It's going to lead you into all truth. And the purpose of that was to fulfill the Great Commission. 
And so as we realize that the person of the Holy Spirit is a gift that we have through faith in Jesus, that empowers our devotion. And just as in Acts chapter 2, it empowered them to an attention to the word and a service in the world, so too we should be willing to grow and to share the Spirit in evangelism and encouragement in the word. Thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God for the gift that we have of the knowledge of who Jesus was. Thanks be to God that we can be encouraged and have this unity. I pray for your unity here, that it be united in the Holy Spirit. May God bless us. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to hear the biddings of the Holy Spirit. You need to recognize that, that the Spirit speaks of one who came who lived a perfect life, who was perfectly wise, and in his life lived a life which we can all admire and recognize that that is the Son of God. And what he calls us to do is to be loyal to him. Salvation is not by your preparation of yourself. It's salvation is by your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll never get yourself ready. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be someone who can say, oh, now's the right time. Now is the right time because what he asks of you is loyalty, trust in him, and put that trust in him by showing it in the act of baptism. This morning is Christ's invitation while we stand and while we sing.